But we switch gears this morning, and uh, the next six weeks we will be focused on the topic of prayer, specifically how to pray for results. And here's the thing uh, about prayer. It's pretty common to almost every religion in the world. You find a religion, name it, even the ones that are not very well known, and you will find that most of the time they talk about prayer in some capacity. But personal prayer, prayer where we spend time alone talking to God, is fairly unique to the Christian religion. And here's the interesting thing to me. When, when most Christians talk about prayer, the conversation, and I have this conversation a lot, goes something like this. I need to pray more. Right? You said that before, right? I ask this question sometimes when I'm meeting with people. I say, if God could call you up on the phone right now and tell you three things that you're doing well and three things that you're doing wrong, what would they be? And people struggle to find out or figure out or think about what God would tell them they are doing good. And then we get to the negative side of it and they say, well, he would tell me to read my Bible more and to pray more. And it's interesting, this idea that we should pray more, because in some ways, it's weird, it minimizes prayer. You say, well, how does it minimize prayer? I'm saying that I should do it more. How can that minimize? If I, anything that I want to do more, I want to eat Mexican food more. Mexican food can't be bad, right? I mean, how can that be a bad thing? Well, well here's my answer. Just Picture this, and this is not what prayer is, so, so don't think I'm teaching theology on prayer. Uh, but picture that, that you find a golden lamp, maybe in a tomb somewhere, like Aladdin. You get that lamp, and you rub it, and a genie pops out. This is not what prayer is, but go with me. And a genie pops out, and he says, you have three wishes. Would your first thought be, oh, man, I need to make sure that I remember to use those wishes. I mean, I need to use more wishes. No, you would think like, I need to minimize because I really want to use these wishes in the most effective way possible. In fact, Aladdin gets himself in trouble, right? You saw it because at the very end he needs a wish. He doesn't have one. He comes up with some miraculous plan that escapes my mind right now. But Aladdin doesn't think, I just, I need to make more wishes. He thinks, how can I minimize and use these wishes effectively? And so some, in some way... When we say, I, I need to pray more, what we're saying is prayer is just this thing that makes me a better Christian. If I just pray more often, then in some way I'm just kind of a better person. But what it does is it takes away from the fact, it makes us forget the fact that in prayer, powerful things happen. When we pray, the Bible is pretty clear about this, God moves. But when it's all about just doing it more, then it's really easy to forget that prayer actually is effectual. And God uses prayer and moves through prayer to change the world. Now, here, here is what you need to know about prayer. Here's three things that I know going into this new series called Receive, How to Pray for Results. Uh, first of all, God will not say yes to everything that you pray. Like I said, it's not like a genie in a bottle. It, it, God will not say yes to everything you pray. You need to know that. I, and we're going into the series and, and we're going to talk about how God will say yes to your prayers. And Jesus seems to say, if you pray in certain ways, then God will say yes. But this is the thing that you need to remember. There is no magic wording that is going to make God say yes to everything that you want him to say yes to. It's simply not going to happen. In fact, one of the greatest prayers of all time, a man named Paul in the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9, Therefore, in order to keep from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, 
a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God flat out said no to Paul's prayer. And Paul didn't just pray once, he prayed three times, and Paul was an awesome man, one of the greatest men ever lived, and God just said no. I'm all-knowing and I'm all-powerful, and there's a reason that I want you to have that thorn in the flesh, and so no. You're going to continue to have it. Jesus even, you've heard of him? Jesus said, hey, God, take away my future suffering, but not my will be done, your will be done. And so Jesus in some ways is like, hey, I don't want to go through what I'm about to go through, but I want, most importantly, for you to do what is right and what is good and what will save the world. God doesn't take away Jesus' suffering. He lets him go right through it. And if God isn't going to say yes to everything Jesus prays, He's not going to say yes to everything that you pray. And so you need to know this because even the title of my sermon series, I wrestled with it and wrestled with it and wrestled with it because there are people in this world who will stand in front of you or get on your TV and you'll listen to them and they'll say, hey, if you pray this way or if you buy this thing that we're selling and you rub it properly three times a day, then God will do whatever you want him to do. And that is not true in any way, shape or form. Okay, so God will not say yes to every one of your prayers. However, God does say yes to prayer. This is key. And sometimes I don't think we believe it. I mean, God says yes to prayer. Now, there's this debate, this philosophical and theological debate that says something like, well, if God is all-knowing and all-powerful and kind of knows what's going to happen in the future, fully knows what's going to happen in the future, then what does it matter if we say prayers? I mean, if he already knows what's going to take place, then why do I got to get down on my knees at night and say something to him? And I think this is the prevailing thinking in the American culture today. I don't think that most of you would vocalize it. Well, it's not going to matter if I don't pray. Nobody would say that. You'll say, I need to pray more. But somewhere deep inside of you, there's a nugget of philosophical belief that says, who cares? I mean, God knows what's going to happen, so who cares if I get down on my knees and I pray? It's just not going to result in anything. It doesn't matter. I mean, if you could be honest with yourself right now, it's probably somewhere in you, right? You're just thinking, really doesn't matter. And it's great philosophically to think that way. I mean, that's awesome, but I hate philosophy and I like the Bible a lot. And the Bible paints a very different story than that. The Bible shows that God says yes and does things differently because people choose to pray. Listen to this story in Exodus 32, 7 through 14. Moses is up on Mount Sinai with God before I read it to you, and he's received the Ten Commandments, and this is what we read. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I have commanded them and made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Listen to this. Pay attention. This is big. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? 
Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Whoa. I mean, if it rubs you wrong, don't talk to me. Talk to the guy that wrote the Bible. 1 Kings 18, 30 through 46. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill, your, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. And, then it, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, the Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Pretty crazy. In Jonah, there's a story. You may know this even if you haven't been around church. But Jonah is a guy, and and he doesn't want to listen to God. And so God, long story short, uh, makes it so that Jonah is in the belly of a very large fish. Okay, And Jonah's there for several days. And after several days, Jonah decides to pray. And he says this long prayer in Jonah chapter 2. And at the end of that long prayer, this is what we read. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah into dry land. So if you're ever stuck in a fish, prayer is effectual. In Acts 1, 5 through 10, it says this, as Peter is in prison. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying earnestly to God for him. Now watch what happens. The night before Herod was prepared to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. The church is praying. Peter is locked up. There's no way he's getting out. He is most definitely going to trial. And then he's set free. I mean, the chains of the gate just fall off and the shekels on his feet are gone and they walk right out. God says yes to prayers. It's throughout the entire Bible. Listen to what James 5, 17 and 18 says. Because somewhere inside of you now you're going, okay, that is great. Sure, God says yes to prayers of people that are famous in the Bible. I mean, yes, he's going to say yes to Moses. And yes, he's going to say yes to Elijah. And Jonah, well, he was okay. And so, yes, he's going to say yes to Jonah. But I'm me. I mean, I'm just Chad. There's no way he's going to say yes to me. But listen to this. This is so key for everything we're going to talk about. This is James 5, 17 and 18. 
Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced crops. Wow. I mean, we think God's not going to do anything if we say, like, hey, make this cough go away. But Elijah prayed, and rain went away for three years, and then came back when he prayed again. Let me just, let me just say this. It's disgusting of American Christians to think that God does not respond to our prayers. I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes from people like me who have degrees in theological studies and master's degrees in theological studies. And we get these conceptions in our head like, well, if I word this incorrectly, then theologically it becomes a problem. And then other people will disagree with me. And so we have to be really careful in how we talk about God responding to prayer because we need to make sure that we fit into this box that we have created. And if we get outside of the box and somebody might get mad at me and people might leave our churches. And, and so I'm, I'm just going to stay inside this box and say you should pray more but the bible paints a very different picture it says people pray and god responds prayer moves the hand that moves the world is what one author said and so what i want you to hear right up front is that god says yes to prayers god responds to your prayers and does things differently because You pray. Truthfully, I've seen it in this church lately. It is amazing. I think that like 90% of the time our church prays about something, God says yes to those prayers. And it's easy to dismiss it and go, well, yeah, they would have been healed anyway. And yeah, they would have become Christians anyway. And yeah, that I mean, it's just, sure, circumstance. But I see a major difference when Creekside Bible Church starts praying about something. God does different things. That's the truth. Now, here's the other thing that I know. If I haven't rubbed you wrong already, this might do it right here. Remember, there's no magic bullet. There's no magic formula to make God say yes to you. But this is what I see in Scripture. And this is where this sermon series is coming from. And just in my own study, Jesus teaches about how to pray in order to get God to respond. I remember God says no sometimes. But throughout the New Testament, when Jesus starts opening his mouth about the topic of prayer, he seems to be saying, if you do it like this, then God will more often say yes to you. Over the next six weeks, counting this morning, what we're going to study is Jesus' words on that very topic. We're going to look at Jesus' teaching, blame him, not me, and we're going to say, okay, Jesus, what is it that you say about prayer? And what is it that you say is the way to pray in order to get results? Knowing that God might say no, but at the same time seeing that Jesus is clearly saying in my mind that if we pray in certain ways, then God is more likely to say yes to our prayers. The difference between you and Elijah, you and Moses, you and Jesus, is not in some supernatural power, but I believe in the way in which you approach prayer. I don't think that Elijah said, oh, I need to pray more. I think Elijah said, I'm going to pray right. I'm going to pray like God wants me to pray. And God responded to those prayers. Today we'll start in Matthew chapter 6. 
So if you want to open up a Bible there, but first I just want to give you my goals for this series. I just want to be outright, just here we go, this is what I want from this series. First of all, I want you to learn how to pray in a way that produces results. I want you to stop thinking I need to pray more and start to understand that prayer moves the hand that moves the world and then start praying more. I want you to stop going, well... I need to just pray more and start to say, okay, this is what Jesus says about prayer, and it's going to result in some pretty powerful things, and therefore I'd want you to get on your knees and start praying more because you understand it better. And so my first goal is simply that you will understand how to pray better, and it will result in you praying more. Second of all, I want the next six weeks, I guess it's five weeks from this morning, I want you to tangibly see a prayer answered with a yes. I'm going to ask God about that for you. I'm going to say, God, they're praying things and we are trusting your word and they are asking you about these things. And I want you to say yes. And hopefully you want God to say yes. and You're not just praying for fun. And we're just going to ask God to tangibly say yes to some of your prayers. You all know things in your life that you've prayed about in the past and you've kind of given up. And it's like, well, you know, he must have said no. But but hopefully over this next six weeks, this is a goal. This is my goal for us is that you can say Man, God said yes to that. I mean, that's something that that I wanted to happen. I thought it should happen, and God said yes to me. And we can share those stories with each other. I want to see a miracle take place in our church. This is something I've been praying by myself for a while. But we see miracles all the time, so maybe I should rewind. I want to see a big miracle. That we all just go, that's amazing. That can't happen apart from God. Uh, I got a couple ideas in my head. I want $1.5 million so that we can put our building up. You're laughing, but you won't be when we're done with the series. I want $1.5 million. You can write a check right now and we can have a miracle. I'll preach shorter the next few weeks and everybody will go home happy. I want to see a miracle in our church. And, and we baptized people last week. Those are miracles, right? I mean, we, we, we can all stand here and say, I mean, as soon as we fasted and started praying for people to give their lives to Jesus, people did. And, and then we baptized them on Easter. And that's a miracle, right? But I want to just see something that's so big and so huge that people are like, that could not have happened unless we started praying. And the last thing that I really want to see is that I, I want to see more people come to salvation in our church. Do not think it's a coincidence that we fasted as a church, you wrote some names on the piece of paper, and you started to pray that we would see people give their lives to Jesus, and that we would baptize people on Easter, and then that happened. Do not think that that is a coincidence. That's what Satan wants you to think, so if you want to be on his team, then go ahead and think that. But if you want to be on God's team and my team, then then recognize that as soon as we said we were really going to focus in on seeing people know Jesus, God said, okay, thanks for praying that. Yes, here they are. And I want to see more and more of that in our congregation. I tell Brandon this. I've never said this publicly, but here it is. I want every Sunday for part of our church service to include baptisms. That is where I want what I want this church to be. I think it should be just as normal for us to celebrate communion and sing songs and have a sermon as it is to, to baptize people because they've decided to give their lives to Jesus. There are churches that are, that are doing things similar to that, and I think that this church can be one of those. But it's not going to happen for me trying harder, from you trying harder. It's going to come as God responds to our prayers. And I want to see more and more of that. So those are my four goals, that you'll understand better, 
Jesus teaching on prayer and how to pray for results. And that will cause you to pray more. I really want to see God say yes to one of your prayers. And you just go, wow, look, hey, Chad, I want to hear that. Hey, Chad, God said yes to this prayer. And I don't want it to be something like, hey, God said yes and we found the right couch you know like and i went to the store i don't want to i want like wow this could not have happened apart from god i want to see a miracle in our church something huge something big and, and i want to see people give their lives to jesus those are my four goals for this series uh over the next five weeks uh, i'll be talking to god about that and and hopefully i'll be praying for results and he will say yes and i i just encourage you to join me in those prayers so the question is what is prayer I mean, that's, that's kind of a logical question. And prayer simply breaking it all the way down is communication with God. It's simply communication with God. You can say, God, I'm frustrated with you. You can say, God, I love you a lot. God, I want to honor you. God, help me with this. God, I need a hand with this other thing. And so prayer is simply, at its, at its core, it is communication with God. But I love part of the definition. And this will be kind of the part of the definition that we'll be working with over the next six weeks from Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Writer of Hebrews says that prayer, part of prayer, is approaching the throne of grace, that's God, so that we can receive help in time of need. Now, there's a couple of things that I think are really important as we talk about how to pray for results. And I know some of the greatest results I've seen in prayer when I've really taken seriously the words in the book of Hebrews about prayer and interaction with God. But when we pray, we need to recognize that we are approaching the throne of grace. See, what happens for me is I get like one of two ways with the topic of prayer. I, I see prayer as, as just like, hey, God, how was your day? Mine was decent. Wish you would have helped me with that one thing. Cool, man. I'm out. You know, and it becomes this like very like I'm talking to my friend or, or, or to Bryn. And it's like it's, it's not even real. The other way people see it, and I, I don't lean towards this side very often, is, is this just God is looking down. And he's like, you say it right or else I'm going to get you and uh, make sure that you're totally pure and totally forgiven of everything. Or else zap and you're gone. And, and so be super careful. But Hebrews guards against both of those things because it says we approach the throne, right? Think about how you would approach a king or the president. Think about how you would come up to somebody who is a dignitary. But also that that throne is filled with grace. And so when we pray, and as we pray over this next six weeks, I really just, what I would ask of you is not that you have these flippant prayers, but you in your mind say, I am approaching God's throne of grace. That might cause you to get on your knees when you pray. It might cause you to stand up when you pray. It might cause you to be very serious when you pray. It might cause you to, to be joyful when you pray. But really when you pray, don't make it like you're talking to a guy that you've never met before. Make it like you are approaching the throne of grace. And that is what prayer is. And part of prayer is asking for help. And that will be our focus over the course of these weeks. And, and so when you pray, remember that you're approaching God's throne asking for help. Well, here's the next question. How do we pray? And that's the topic for the next five weeks. But I just want to begin this morning with Jesus' most famous, most clear topic on praying and how to do it. So if you'll look at Matthew 6, I'll start with verses 5 and 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. 
Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, here's the thing. This last word, reward, is interesting to me because part of it might be something that happens in heaven someday. But in my studies, what I believe is that the reward that we are talking about in Matthew 6, that Jesus is talking about, is the reward of having your prayers answered with a yes, partly. Sure, God will reward us for our prayers when we get to heaven someday. But right now, don't we want a reward? And Jesus says that if you pray like the hypocrites, hypocrite is a word that simply means to act. And so the religious leaders at the time of Jesus, what they did is they put on a giant show of their religion. And so if people were coming to market or coming to their synagogue, their church services, then they would stand out in front of everybody and put their hands up and they'd pray beautiful King James style prayers. And Jesus says, when you pray, don't put on a show. Instead, go alone into your closet. Now you say, well, wait a minute, time out. Brandon just prayed. Is he a hypocrite? It's a logical question. Uh, no, I know him. But Jesus isn't talking about praying publicly or privately. Jesus is talking about the attitude of prayer. And the attitude of prayer must be one. Not where we're saying, this is all about the show, but instead one where we say, I'm approaching the throne of grace because I need the help and the guidance of God in my life. Now, here's the thing. Not many of us are going to stand outside today and pray in front of everybody, right? Because that show won't get you very far in our world today. It might get something thrown at you, especially in the city of Wilsonville. Uh, it, it might get people yelling at you, but it's not going to make you very popular, right? I think we put on a show in a different way. And it's what I've already alluded to. I think we put on a show when it comes to prayer by simply approaching prayer saying, I need to pray more. We come to God and we put on the show for God. Hey, God, I'm doing this thing because I'm supposed to and because a pastor said I should pray more once. And, and so here I am. Hey, look at me. Make me better. You know, give me some brownie points or something like that. But I think what God wants, what his heart is, is that we genuinely approach him saying, God, I need you. And we approach the throne of grace, genuinely looking for help and remembering that it is a conversation with God. Jesus seems to be saying that our prayers will be hindered if we don't do that. If we put on a show that, that God is not going to say yes to those prayers in the same way. Now, here, here's the deal. Throughout the Bible, not specifically to Jesus, there are many things that are shown to actually prevent God from saying yes to your prayers. It's summarized kind of in 1 Peter 3, 10 through 12. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For, ready for this, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and, big statement right here, his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Did you catch that? He said, if you're living a righteous, holy life, then he's going to look at your prayers and he's going to be attentive to them. But if you're not, he's going to turn his face from you. And in the Old Testament, that was definitely a reference in many, many places to not listening and not responding to the prayers of the Israelites. Now, there, here's some things. 
might want to write these down because if these things in your, are in your life, this is, this is kind of the negative side. Jesus always seems to be in the positive except for in this one verse. He's always like, if you pray like this or when you pray, pray like this. But just right here where he talks about hypocrites, it's in the negative where like, don't do this or else God won't listen. And, and here's some other things that will hinder your prayer life, that will make God turn his face from your prayers and not be attentive to them. Sinfulness. It's kind of broad, but sinfulness is one. Unforgiveness of others. We'll talk about that more in a second. Not being gentle, kind, loving, and honoring, as I just read. Praying to be seen by men, Matthew 6. Lack of faith or doubt that your prayers will be said yes to. Selfish motivations in prayer. And being inconsiderate of your spouse. If these things are in your life, then God... It's not going to say yes to your prayers most of the time. Jesus continues this passage. says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, here's what happened in the old days during the time of Jesus. We actually see a couple of references to this in the Bible. People in other religions had mantras. And so they would, they would just say things to God all day long. In the Old Testament, there's a story of people going for six hours. We're like, God help us, God help us, God help us, God help us, God help us. I would all run together and I would sound like a jumbled mess after a while. But people thought that if they said things long enough and loud enough, then God would respond to their prayers. And what you need to know from Jesus is that that is not what God needs you to do. God already knows what you need before you pray. Now, this is a verse that people point to and say, see, I don't really need to pray. I, don't, I mean, it's not going to change anything. But that is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying to you and I, he's saying, look, you're not going to tell God something that he already doesn't know. You're not going to convince God to say yes to your prayers by some type of psychobabble. It doesn't remove the call to pray. It doesn't remove the fact that prayer is effectual because of the power of God. It simply means that you don't need to tell God something or talk God into something. You just need to ask God. He moves on. And he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, we could break this down and we could look at the, at the intricacies of each of these things, but I, I just want to paint a broader stroke. This is the Lord's Prayer. You've heard it. You've probably said it before. But this is what I want you to notice about it today. Broad stroke. Half of it is focused on the worship of God. He says, when you pray, say, God, I want your name to be holy, set apart from everything else on earth. I want you to be more famous, more awesome in the eyes of men. I want you to be set apart so that everybody knows that you're different. Then he says, I want your kingdom to come. When the Bible says, especially in the book of Matthew, your kingdom, it's talking about the rule and the reign of God on earth. So he's saying, look, when you pray, ask that the rule and reign of God expands on the planet. And then he says, I want your will to be done. That's how we should pray. And Jesus is saying, look, you should say, God, we just want to do it your way here. Help me and everybody else to do the things that you want us to do. Then in the middle of that, he says, hey, when you pray, say, give us today our daily bread. Ask God for the things that you need. And then that's one sixth of the prayer. Then he says, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He focuses on the spiritual battle that is all around us. 
Hey, God, help me to be a person that is forgiving others as you forgive me. Please forgive me for the things that I have done. Hey, God, don't lead me into a situation where I'm going to want to sin. In fact, God, would you please, I think this is Jesus meaning, would you please lead me out of those situations that are going to cause me to do things that you don't want me to do? And hey, God, by the way, protect me from evil or the evil one. It can be translated both ways. Protect me from Satan and the things that he wants to do in my life by hurting me, by hurting the ones around me, or by causing me to do things that you have not called me to do. And so here it is. This is what Jesus says right up front, if we could be totally clear. When I talk about how to pray for results, your mind goes, I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to ask for a million dollars. I'm going to do it however Chad wants me to do it. And, and what Jesus says, and, and then I'm just going to keep praying and do what I need to do, and then God will give me a million dollars. But Jesus says, when you pray, here's how you do it. 50% of it should be about the worship of God. 33% of it should be about you living for God. And the other part should be about what you need in your life. We have that all backwards, don't we? I can see just the conviction in your eyes right now. I mean, you're just going, wait a minute. I remember the last time I prayed last month. And (laughs) it was all about that problem in my life and getting it fixed. It's all about that thing that we need in our family right now. I gave God the uh, in Jesus' name at the end, so that counts like for 5%. So I did all right. But, you know, I mean, Jesus is saying when you pray, 50% of it is about the worship of God. 33% of it is about you living for God. And the other part of it, whatever percent that might be, is about the things that you need in your life. The part that we will focus in on over the next five weeks, that is where our focus will be. But if... You approach your prayers going, hey, God, I need this and I want this and make this thing happen and heal this. And this is the stuff I need, God. Hey, have a nice day. This is what I need. Bless me and make me prosperous and make everything great for me. Then you're not doing it right. I know that rubs some people wrong. I mean, oh, I can't pray wrong. And people say that. Pastors say, oh, you can't pray wrong. Just start praying. But um, you're not praying how Jesus told us to do it. If most of your prayer is not about the worship of God and living for God. And a little bit of your prayer. It's about the help that you need from God. I'll just be honest with you. I'm as guilty as any of you. Uh, the most things that I pray about are you and our church. And, and it's real easy for me to skip over all that other stuff and get to God. We need this to happen for Sunday. And I want to see this. And that person needs that. And just skip right in. Hey, God, this is what we need. Please take care of it. But Jesus is calling us to be focused on his worship and our holiness. And then in the middle of that somewhere the things that we need. He closes this just by reiterating that if we have not forgiven others, I'll read it to you, then we're not going to be forgiven. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now let's be clear about this. This isn't talking about salvation. This is not talking about becoming a Christian. This is in the context of prayer. Jesus is saying God will not Forgive the things that you have done and say yes to your prayers. You are not able to pray in a way that produces results if you have unforgiveness in your heart. Now, I read a list of other things just a second ago that will prevent your prayers from being seen and heard and responded to in the proper way by God. But Jesus seems to focus, because this isn't the only time he says it, on unforgiveness. 
And so what you need to hear in Jesus' final closing kind of moments right there on prayer before he talks about fasting is that you, if you are going to see God say yes to your prayers, and if we are going to be a church that sees miracles happen and lives given to Jesus, then we must be people who in the deepest part of our hearts forgive others because, and this is so key, because we know how much we have been forgiven. Throughout the Bible, what God says, what God makes clear, is that if we are calling ourselves followers of Jesus, who have been forgiven, if we're serious about the forgiveness of Jesus, then we must be people that respond to that forgiveness by forgiving others. So this morning, I just this is what I want you to know. I want you to know that your prayers should be focused on the worship of God. I want you to know that there is a right and wrong way to pray if you want to see results. God will always like it if you talk to him. But if you really want to see him say yes to your prayers, then then you need to follow what Jesus has said. And maybe most this morning, because we're about to celebrate communion, I want you to know that you need to be a person who knows forgiveness and then forgives. I know there's people in this room that fall into two categories. Some of you don't even know forgiveness. So I can stand in front of you and I can say, hey, you need to forgive others. But you don't even understand what forgiveness is because you don't know and don't believe in the love that Jesus has for you. A love so strong and so big that he came from heaven to earth to die on a cross to save you from your sins. And I can tell you this, that that you will never know how to forgive until you understand the forgiveness that Jesus offers. And so some of you in this room, as we close today, you really just need to say, God, I don't know what forgiveness is. And deep in my soul, I feel, I feel this guilt and it's never gone away. And I have these people that I cannot forgive. I would love to forgive them, but I can't forgive them because I don't even know what that means. And I want to see justice. And today, I just encourage you to give your life to Jesus because that's the only way that you will understand forgiveness. And, and then there's others of us who are in this room We've been forgiven by Jesus, and yet we refuse to give that forgiveness to other people. We need to let God convict us of that this morning. We need to say, God, as I think about the blood that you poured out and the body you broke and how you did that so that I could be forgiven of my sins, of my debts, as he says in the Lord's Prayer, and as we consider that and reflect on that and remember that, you need to say, Jesus, Just as your body and blood took away the punishment of my sin, I take away all punishment that I am trying to hold over other people. Man, if you don't want to do it because it's right, do it because you want your prayer said yes to. But man, if you look at this this thing that Jesus did for us where he died the most terrible death ever so that you could be forgiven, you have to respond to that by forgiving others. So this morning I just want you who are Christians and know the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus to just let go of the bitterness and the punishment that you're trying to hold over other people. It's the only way your prayers are going to be heard. Will you pray with me as the band comes forward? Lord, we want you to say yes to our prayers. We want to be people, God. And we know people maybe who are like this, but we want to be people who just see you say yes to things we ask. And we know that in your infinite wisdom, you'll say no, God, because we're not that smart. And sometimes we're going to ask for all the wrong stuff. But Lord, we want to be people who just see things happen when we pray. And God, when we pray, I mean, 
Mountains are moved, Lord. Lives are changed. And so I ask, Lord, that you would help everybody here right now, including me, God, to examine our hearts and to examine whether there's things in us that are causing you to turn your face from us and to say no to the things that we are asking. And Lord, I gave a list and you've given us a small list in your word. But God, right now I pray that just in people's hearts that you, Lord, would, would really just speak to them and they would understand the things that you're asking them to remove or to do. And God, this morning they would get rid of those things. They would do those things. They would do whatever they need to do and they would repent, God, in front of you, the living God, as they remember the sacrifice that you made on the cross. Father, I pray for anybody in this room who doesn't know the forgiveness that the cross offers. I pray that they would give their lives to you. Lord, we trust and we believe that you are here with us right now. God, and I just pray that you would just just be so... Your presence would be so strong around anybody here who doesn't know you that they would know that you are real and they would choose, God, to believe in the gospel and the story of you redeeming human beings, saving us from hell. I pray, God, they would live another, not live another day without knowing how amazing your grace truly is. And Lord, I pray lastly for, for any of us, any of these people who have unforgiveness in their hearts, and I pray that this morning they would respond to your love and your mercy and your grace by offering it to other people. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for this time. Pray that you use your word. Amen.